0: Please open
1: your Bibles and turn to Job chapter 23. The last time we looked at Eliphaz, one of Job's so-called friends, and his continued unfounded attack on Job, his hurtful words, his... um, His misapplication of God's nature and God's character to Job's life. And the fact that uh, he actually ramped up his rhetoric against Job. And not only wasn't it comforting, but it was actually hurting. It was doing more harm than good. And so this time, in these two chapters, we hear from Job. But I think Job is starting to realize that... uh, responding to his friends is of no use. So he goes directly to God uh, in these next two chapters. And he's already stated that his grievance is not with men, but it's with God. And it's because of his lack of complete understanding of, of what God is doing. And I think we can all relate because there are many things that go on in our lives, that we don't understand. We just don't understand why. We don't understand what God's doing through it. Uh, we know that we know that he has a purpose in everything that he allows in our life, and yet there are some things that happen that we just don't get. And uh, Job is certainly in that place. The next two chapters are going are to emphasize the fact that he has... Uh, He has a grievance against God because he doesn't understand. And what I like about these next two chapters is it shows this righteous man, this man who we knew from the beginning of the book was considered one of the most righteous men who ever lived. This man who knew God, this man who taught uh, his children and his families about God. We see him getting to a place in his suffering where he has nowhere else to go but to God. And he's just pouring his heart out. Um, and he's complaining. He's really complaining to God. And I know we've all been there. You know, we've all been there. We've all gotten to this place where we don't know where else to turn. We understand who God is. And that he allows certain things in, in our lives. And yet, we don't get it. So we see kind of at the core of his complaint is this feeling of separation. This feeling that um, just as Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Job felt this same separation from God. And don't we at times, especially in the midst of our greatest suffering, don't we at times feel far from God? Feel like we're separated from god and spurgeon says about this that good men are washed toward god even by the rough waves of their grief and when their sorrows are deepest their highest desire is not to escape from them to but to get at their god so we see here that even the waves of our grief can draw us toward god but do we allow that to happen Or do we say, no, um, I'm going to handle this on my own, or I don't understand what you're doing, God. Let me try to figure this out. So we can allow those things in our life to draw us to him or to draw us against, uh, away from him. So our deepest and highest desire, our deepest and highest need in the midst of our suffering is to restore that fellowship with God, is to restore that relationship with God. With God. So we're going to jump in in the first seven verses here in Job 23. And it says Then Job answered and said, Even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. There the upright could reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. So this is what his desire is. His desire is to go again before the Lord, present his case, and knowing that God would not continue to contend with him, but would actually show grace and mercy. He would take notice of Job understand isn't that what we desire the most in our struggles in this life that god just takes notice of us god i'm suffering i'm going through a really difficult time god take notice of me understand that i don't get what you're doing but but i want to know you better i want to know the plan and the purpose for my life in what i'm going through job had another great struggle here and that was not giving in to self-pity. A lot of times our pain and our suffering can kind of lead us in that direction of, of self-pity and we don't see anything else that's going on and so we sort of lose focus. We, come, we become hyper-focused on our own needs and our own suffering and although they may be great, they shouldn't also block out everything else that God is doing. Because a lot of times he does things in our lives through the suffering, through the peripheral things that we don't see, through, those, through other people that might come into our lives and minister to us. We need to allow that to happen. We need to not get so caught up in our pain and our struggle that we just sit in that self-pity. And listen, I, I, I understand Job was drained. He was physically drained. He was psychologically drained. He was spiritually drained. <clears throat> Yet he knew deep down that his greatest need was that reestablishment of a relationship with God. It was the only way he knew it was the only way he, he could endure the suffering that he was going through. Verse 3 tells us he wanted another chance to plead his case before God, to go before that bench and present his arguments to the righteous judge. And he knew if he was able to do that, he said he said I know the words he would answer me. I understand what he would say to me. I know I know God. I know that he would see my righteousness and he would understand that that my suffering is 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 hurting, and i 'm um, in a really bad place right now. He believes that God would understand him, and that 's certainly true. God does understand us, He knows us better than we know ourselves i 'll admit that uh, sometimes i don 't quite understand my own mind, but he was confident job was confident in the uprightness of God and in his justice, and this wasn 't boasting. This wasn't Job saying, you know, I'm righteous and I know that God's going to see it that way. It was understanding God's nature. You know, the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That boldness is not arrogance. That boldness is not boasting. That boldness is understanding the nature of our God. And understanding how much he loves us and how much he wants to minister to those needs. So we can go boldly before that throne and know that he'll give us everything we need to either avoid those calamities in our life or at least get through them with grace and giving him the glory. And then the next two verses in 8 and 9, Job feels as if God was hiding from him. He says, look, I go forward and he is not there and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. It's like God's playing hide and seek with Job. You know, I look this way and he's somewhere else. I look ahead and he's behind me. You know, where are you, God? I can tell you where God is. God is in the pages of this book. And God is in the hearts of every single person who's received Him. And the Holy Spirit will be indwelt in every single believer. We know where God is. Job felt as if God couldn't be found by him. He desired to plead his case, but he couldn't find the judge. And it wasn't as if Job wasn't looking in the right places. I mean, after all, God is, what, omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. He's everywhere at all times. But he felt like he was just missing him. Sometimes, I know when I feel disconnected from God, I remember that old saying that I heard many years ago, if you feel like you're far from God, guess who moved? It's usually us who moves. And that's why we feel that separation. But there's a difference between God's omnipresence. That's a big word, and it's it's like a big picture of the fact that God is everywhere, right? There's a difference between that and that personal fellowship with Jesus, isn't there? Isn't that what we really truly desire? That intimacy, that connection to God. And that's what Job was searching for here. Well, Job maybe couldn't find God, but God knew where Job was in the next couple of verses. It says in verse 10, but he knows the way that I take and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So Although Job couldn't find God, God knew where Job was. Job was in the furnace. Job was being tried. Job was being tested. Job was being purified. You see, Job's affliction was God-ordained affliction. Job's affliction had a greater purpose than just suffering. It was meant to refine Job. It was meant to make him a better man than he already was. It was meant to mold him into the image of the man that God intended him to be all along. That's what the refining process does also in you and I. God tests us in the furnace to see what we're made of. You know, most believers I would say all the all believers from the beginning of time have been through this testing of affliction this this purification process and it's always for our good it's always to bring us to a place of obedience and submission to show us what we're really made of and that's what the refining process does when it comes to metals it shows the, the, the silversmith or the goldsmith, what's, what that metal is made of. And it has to be heated up to a very, very high temperature in order for those things to come to the surface, the, the junk, the dross, they call it, and they, and they just take it off the top and, and then the pure gold is left, the pure silver is left behind. But it takes that process of purification, of testing, of refining in order to do that. It tells us throughout the scripture, this beautiful picture of the refining process that God does in the lives of of all believers. And sometimes in the nation of Israel, he did that. You know, in 1 Peter, it tells us, That we will go through these times of trying. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose for our trials. That is the purpose for our testing, for our purification, that we may glorify God, that we may glorify Jesus as he is revealed through our testing. Yes, it reveals what's in us. It reveals what we are made of, but it also reveals the glory of God. And that's an awesome thing. That's something Peter says that we can rejoice in, even though at the time it's not much fun. It's not pleasurable at the time, but we can still rejoice in that. Our perspective needs to be on God's glory and our faith being revealed. When God allows us to go through the furnace, there are a couple things we need to remember. First of all, he's there with us. He doesn't send us into the fire alone. He's with us. Just as the young men were thrown into the fiery furnace, remember back in Daniel's time, right? God was in their midst. That beautiful picture in Daniel three twenty-five, where it says, Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You see, there were only three men thrown into the fiery furnace, but there was a fourth image in that furnace, a fourth being. God did not leave them alone in that process. He does not leave us alone through that process. Another another thing we need to remember as we go through this this, uh, purification, this refining process, is that God always has his hand on the thermostat and on the timer. He knows just how hot it needs to get and for how long. And that purification process will do its work. It will reveal the true nature of who we are. And then if there's stuff that needs to be taken away, God will take that stuff away. As we submit to him, as we allow him to do that that purification in our lives. See, Job was already proven to be faithful to God. The furnace of affliction that he's going through only went to prove what he was truly made of. God will allow these things in our lives to test us, to see if our faith is true. To see if our obedience is steadfast. Some people go into the furnace and it will burn them up. Others go into the furnace and it purifies them. The difference is our attitude on the affliction that comes into our lives. Do we understand that God is working through that stuff that happens? And that he has the best for us. And then we allow that process to draw us closer to him. Amen. The next few verses here, Job is kind of going to express his fear of God in verses 13 through 17 in Job 23. It says here, but he is unique and who can make him change and whatever his soul desires that he does for he performs what is appointed for me and many such things are with him are with him. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider this, I am afraid of him. For God made my heart weak, and the Almighty terrifies me, because I was not cut off from the presence of darkness, and he did not hide deep darkness from my face. So, this fear of God. You know, we're told that we should have a healthy fear of God. That fear of God should be more like a respect for God, a reverence for God that we hold him in, in, uh, in awe. That's what that fear of God, that's the positive effects of fear of the fear of God in our lives. But Job didn't have that at this point. He was terrified of God. He di- he didn't have a healthy respect or reverence. Not that he didn't have reverence for God, but this was overcoming that. It was genuine fear that God didn't necessarily have his best interest at heart. Now, we have to be very careful that we don't get to that point, you know, that our reverence doesn't turn to to, uh, fear and being terrified of God because he does always have our best interest. And it was because of Job's great darkness, the pain that he was in, that he couldn't see what God was doing verse 14 kind of tells us that he was just w- waiting for that next shoe to drop, so to speak, in his affliction. For that next thing. Remember, at the beginning of the book, we saw how one thing happened after another in his life. One calamity after another. And I think he was always kind of looking over his shoulder, waiting for that next thing to happen to him. That's not the fear that God wants us to have. He wants us to have a healthy reverence for who he is and certainly he can judge us he can he can bring affliction into our lives but he doesn't do that to harm us he does that to allow us to grow you know we can contrast job's fear with the promises of god you know we look in the scriptures we see we see hundreds of promises that god makes to his believers jeremiah 29:11 tells us for I know the thoughts that I think toward you says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope that's not a God we should be fearing that we should be terrified at that's a God who has our best interest at heart who loves us who wants the best for us he wants us to sense that love and care he wants us to understand that his promises are true and his plans for us are good But that doesn't mean that we won't experience trials, right? That doesn't mean that we won't experience affliction in our lives. This is, after all, a fallen, sinful world. And suffering is inevitable because of that. But God does promise an abundant life to those who love him. And he also promises that he can turn all things for good. Romans 8, 28 tells us, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Are you called by God? Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Then God can take every single thing that happens in your life and he can turn it around for good. There's a purpose behind it. Know that, know that going in. Know that when that next affliction comes, when that next trial comes into your life, that God's got a plan behind that, that God's got a purpose for it, that he can turn it around for good because he loves you and he wants the best for you. We're going to go on and continue in in chapter 24 because these two chapters kind of go together. It's one long complaint Crying out to God by Job. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And it says, Since times are not hidden from the Almighty, why do those who know him see not his days? Some remove landmarks. They seize flocks violently and feed on them. They drive away the donkey of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox as a pledge. They push the needy off the road. All the poor of the land are forced to hide. Indeed, like wild donkeys in the desert, they go out to their work, searching for food. The wilderness yields food food for them and for their children. They gather their fodder in the field and glean in the vineyard of the wicked. They spend the night naked without clothing and have no covering in the cold. They are wet with the showers of the mountains and huddle around the rock for want of shelter. Some snatch the fatherless from the breast and take take a pledge from the poor. They cause the poor to go naked without clothing. They take away the sheaves from the hungry. They press out oil within their walls and tread wine presses, yet suffer thirst. Wow. Job looks out at a world that he's living in and he sees all of these injustices taking place. All of these inequities taking place. And he doesn't understand it. And he says, God, you're, these things aren't hidden from you. Why don't you do something about these things? He lists all the deeds of the wicked that seemingly go um, uh, you know, away from God's view. That he doesn't understand. He says people seize another's property. You know, when he talks about removing landmarks, it's, when you put, it's like when you put your, um, your property markers in your, in your land, right? Sometimes you have your, a survey done of your property and they lay markers in the ground. Well, somebody comes along and they remove the markers. Well, now you don't know where the property lines are. It was actually mentioned in, in the Old Testament, I think in the book of Deuteronomy, that this was against God's law. You're not supposed to do that. And yet, people were doing it. They were praying on the defenseless. They were leaving the poor without food or clothing. I mean, imagine that. I mean, we give food, clothing to the ones in need. That's what we're supposed to do as believers, right and yet job looks out at a world and he sees people taking taking from the most defenseless among among him leaving the poor without food or clothing or shelter job can't understand right remember all of these chapters he's heard well god judges the wicked job you must be wicked god is always faithful he'll judge the wicked well god why aren't you judging these i don't understand god why aren't these people being judged you know man has asked this same question right since the beginning of time and it's it's hard to even answer it's hard to come up with an with a, an answer that would would satisfy but the only thing we can say is that god is perfect in his judgments we know he'll eventually deal with all of these things that seem like their injustices in this world and we look around now and we can see some of these things that job is seeing going on in our in our uh, in our nation and around the world and we see these things happening and we wonder you know are are they all going to get away with it he goes on and lists more of the deeds of the wicked in verses 12 through 17 he says, The dying groan in the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out, yet God does not charge them with wrong. There are those who rebel against the light. They don't know its ways nor abide in its paths. The murderer rises with the light. He kills the poor and the needy, and in the night he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me. And he disguises his face. In the dark, they break into houses, which they marked for themselves in the daytime. They do not know the light, for the morning is the same to them as the shadow of death. If someone recognizes them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. So we, think, we look at these verses, and I think of a lot of our big cities. I look around at our our nation and it seems like, yeah, this is exactly what's going on in Chicago and in Detroit and in New York city. And I'll, I'll, you can name the cities and you can see all these things that are going on. You know, we're talking about murders. We're talking about um, people being attacked. We're talking about people being preyed upon and they do it at night, right? They do it in the in the cover, under the cover of darkness, thinking no one's going to find out. No one's going to see them. They break into people's houses. They, they, they uh, you know, uh, scout them out during the daytime. And they mark the houses that look like it's an easy mark. And then they go at night and they break in. It sounds like any big city that, that we can think of, right? Right? We look across our country and across the world and we see this type of criminal behavior going on and we wonder if God will ever mete out justice on the the poor victims here. We could have this same type of complaint before God, right? We can understand what Job is going through. We can certainly understand. Job was asking the same question that we ask. And he correctly points out that that evil lives in the darkness, right? Evil lives in the darkness. It flourishes in the dark. The Bible distinguishes between dark and light and always encourages us to walk in the light, not in darkness. I think of John chapter 3, verse 19 says, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and what men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil men love darkness rather than light that's the nature of a sinful fallen humanity that we actually love darkness rather than light of course then we 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 invite the light of the world into our lives. And then what does the Bible say? That we become the light of the world. Now we walk in the light. We're encouraged to walk in the light, not in the darkness. And we bring light everywhere we go, God willing. They see the light of Jesus shining through us. And maybe we can bring light into someone's life. Maybe even someone who's You know, doing some of these criminal behaviors. Maybe we have an opportunity to have a conversation. You never know where God's going to put you. And there was this overall um, kind of attitude that Job sees here that things are kind of upside down. You know, darkness is light. Evil is called good. You know, Isaiah 520, you know, God God kind of pronounces these woes, pronounces this judgment on those who use like clever and deceptive words. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Do you ever listen, hopefully not too much, to some of these politicians who say things that you know you know are evil, and they put them forth as if they're good. And you wonder to yourself, "Is there something wrong with me? Am I, am I not getting this? They, they say things, and, and you know it, 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 there's no question about it. It's evil. And yet they put it forth as some type of good thing. How far we have fallen as a human race. And, you know, God pronounced judgment on the nation for this thousands of years ago. And yet, couldn't he do the same today? Who, you know, who among us is calling evil good? They, they blur those moral lines, Right. I don't even think they're, they're moral lines. I think they just blur all of the all of the definitions of everything that we used to know was good. They blur those lines to the point where they look at their own evil and they can't even see it. They call it good, and they look at something that's good and they call it evil. It sounds like the culture we live in. I mean, I mean, it's amazing. To see something written so long ago, it's just—it's—it's it's today. It's what we're going through today. its I, I call it a state of moral confusion. I think that's what we're living in—just moral confusion. Because there are even times where where things will come across the the, the newsfeed or, or something, and I say, wait a minute, I have to—I th- to think about it for a second. No, 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 that's not good. That's evil. That's wickedness. That's pure evil. That's from the devil. That's not of God. And then you, you, know, you need to just get get it out of, it out of your sight because you know. You know. That's where we're at. Job here calls for the wicked to be judged. In verse 18, that they should be swift on the face of the waters. Their portions should be cursed in the earth. So that no one would turn into the way of their vineyards. As drought and heat consume the snow waters, so the grave consumes those who have sinned. The womb should forget him. The worm should feed feed sweetly on him. He should be remembered no more. And wickedness should be broken like a tree. For he prays on the barren who do not bear. And he does no good for the widow. So Job sees, he understands. It's pretty clear to him. There is no confusion about good and evil. He looks out, he sees evil, and he says, this is what should happen to them. This is, he's now pronouncing a curse on the wicked, righteous curse on the wicked. He sees inequity in the world and he cries out for justice. He's calling on God to execute fair judgment according to what he sees and knows is good. See, Job is not really confused about this. He may have his moments where he doesn't understand what's going on. But he knows right from wrong. He knows good from evil. He knows dark from light. Just as believers, we should know the same. It should be very, very clear to us. The more we dig into the Word, the more we understand who God is, the more we see His nature and His character. And the more we look out at the world and we see that disparity, the more we understand. Isn't that true? We just know. We just know. And although the wicked may prosper for a little while, a little while, no one is assured of another day. We know that. In the last few verses here, Job kind of continues. He just completes this grievance to God. But he recognizes the fact that God is righteous and that he will judge fairly. He says, But God draws the mighty away with his power. He rises up, but no man is sure of life. He gives them security, and they rely on it. Yet his eyes are on their ways. They are exalted for a little while. Then they are gone. They are brought low. They are taken out of the way like all others. They dry out like the heads of grain. Now if it's not so, who will prove me a liar and make my speech worth nothing? The security that the wicked have is not guaranteed. You know, they think they're getting away with what they do, and they don't, they don't know their last day. They don't know that day of judgment. God sees their deeds, and he eventually will bring them down, right? He says here, he gives them security in verse 23, and they rely on it. It's like they're arrogant, like God hasn't caught up with me yet, and so I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. He hasn't struck me down yet. You know, so he must, he must be okay with it or he must not see what's going on. So they rely on their, the, the fact that God's gracious to them is really what it is. Giving them an opportunity to repent, right? To turn from their wicked ways and to turn toward him. He's extending grace and they look at it as if God doesn't see. But what does it say there? Yet his eyes are on their ways. He knows. He knows. Nothing gets past God. He knows all things. Job, uh, in verse 25, challenges all of us, really, to prove him to be a liar. Can we prove Job to be a liar? No. God will. Take care of all of this. He's perfectly just. And he's perfectly fair. And we can't prove him wrong in that. You know, we see the injustices in society. And they, we see they cause so much pain. So much confusion in people's lives. And we look at those who are supposed to uphold the law and promote justice. And they aren't perfect. Perfect those who make the laws and enforce them, they're only human like the rest of us. They don't do, do it perfectly. That's why as Christians, we, we certainly can try to, we should try to promote justice. We should try to promote, um, you know, law and order. But we also look forward to that day, don't we? We look forward. We know this is a fallen world. There's no question about that. So we look forward to that day when Jesus Christ will return, when he'll judge the wicked, when he'll do his righteous judgment, and then he'll establish that righteous kingdom. And that's why, as believers, we can just keep praying, even so, come,
0: Lord Jesus. Let's pray.